and it is a banger. It is certainly a banger. Uh, can can recommend. <laughs> my co-host, my my man, William Haynes. How was your weekend? It was good. Good relaxing weekend. Watch some sports. Shout out to to Scott Clements behind the glass. His Birmingham Stallions of the USFL are one and zero. He's already called a shot that they're going to win the whole darn thing this year. And of course, all the uh, all eight teams are playing their games in his native state of Alabama. So that'll be kind of a fun story. Uh, over the course of the summer but yeah just gearing up for the last couple grueling weeks of the semester and you know how these springs go you know the spring has flown by my friend and you know this this is definitely one of those shows that um i've thought about but i i don't really know how it's gonna feel afterwards because this is actually my last show as host of the radio station's host of or i guess the, the sports department i should say um of this of the show it's been it's been a great journey and I'll, I'll get into a little bit more of my my ramble my spiel at the end of the show but before we we get into the sports uh stories that are going on these days we have our veteran sebastian angel and angel riano back on the show i, I can't remember the last time you were on on here sebastian, yeah how are you doing? i just had to find a way to get out of my rocking chair unassisted um i'm doing very well i've had a good week um you know wrapped up easter celebrations and all but um i do believe that this will be my last time on air as i am now old Uh, (laughs) i am also graduating and my capacity here at wvfs tallahassee will be uh very limited from here on out i am no longer going to be in any capacity uh leading the charge um in sports um as i have been for the past about three years now um, I have. I feel like I have done ev- almost everything I have set out to do. There are two things left on my shopping list, but after this, um, it's curtains for me. Mm. You're sporting a WVFS hat as well. I've never seen that. Yes, um, I'm glad you asked about it. And this wonderful uh, trucker-style uh, cap uh, with the V89 logo on in the front with our slogan, Defeating Evil Since 1987, um, can be yours in four different styles, black on gold, black on white, uh, gray on pink, and gray on black. Uh, you can inquire with uh, any sort of tabling opportunity, be, be it Market Wednesday or any sort of uh, appearance by the radio station at any concert venue for $10. One of these hats can be yours. Only $10? Only $10. No way. I got to get one. <laughs> anyway, we still we still have a lot to talk about with sports, but before we do... We also have Ian Hughes back on the show. I believe this is your second or third time. Third time, right? That would be correct. That, is that my would second be correct. Time. Let's go. Welcome back, Ian. How was your weekend, man? Oh, you know, it was great. Um, I didn't get to go home for Easter, which was a bit of a bummer, but, you know, I just had a nice, relaxing weekend. Uh, all my sports teams did very well this weekend. Um, I was playing a lot of NHL on the PlayStation. My team <laughs> made it to the Stanley Cup, so yeah, couldn't ask for any, anything much, you know, outside of that. Nice. Let's go. Well... We do have to shout out our man Scott Clemens in the booth. He's also a senior who's graduating promptly. So there's a lot of people leaving the station, very sadly. It's a, it's a bittersweet time here in Tallahassee for a lot of people. But at the same time, it's, it's been great to reflect on the, the years that we've had here at the station, the years that we've had on campus to, to grow relationships, grow, grow in, as people, <laughs> as broadcasters, as producers and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... It's gonna be hard to, to you know say goodbye to a lot of people. I still have a year left, so I'll, I'll definitely be back um, next year. But I guess we do have to talk about sports, don't we, William? It's our it's our very own V eighty nine senior day. But yes, <laughs> we have to pay respects. Can course. I get the bouquet early since I've been on the show? <laughs> it was supposed to be a surprise. Anyway, 
let's talk about FSU sports, shall we? We do have a couple interesting news to talk about. Last week, it seemed like there was everything happening at the same time. This week, it seems like the sports world is slowing down just a little bit for us, but we do have an interesting story with FSU football, one that I don't think many of us want to ramble on for too long, but at the same time, it is important to cover what's going on with Mike Norvell's team. The Amarius Amar- Mims saga is officially over. The, the offensive lineman from Georgia is officially done with recruiting, with transferring, with all that stuff. He is officially staying in Georgia, not going to Miami, not going to Tallahassee. He will be a Bulldog for the next year, which is, of course, sad, sad story to hear for FSU fans. And for some, this is not a big surprise. I think some of us here can confirm that. But at the same time, I think there was a lot of enthusiasm uh, in the air for, for some people because we all know how big of a need offensive line is for, for the Seminoles these days. And he is clearly one of the best in the nation right now. So, And, and he could have stayed for a little bit longer as well. So this would have been a move for, for the immediate present, but also for the foreseeable future uh, for Mike Norvell's team. So it's, it's not crazy to, to, to think about this, to, to wrap your head around it. But at the same time, we saw what happened with Travis Hunter. Now this, it's just FSU seems to be getting near to five-star prospects, and then they just end up getting away from them. William, what were some of your you know, takeaways from this? Did you, did you ever think that this was actually going to happen, or did you not get your hopes up? I believe it was Wednesday or Friday of last week. I have a class that's kind of inside Dote Campbell. It's an 8 a.m. class during the week, and I, I'm, I believe I saw him and, and Coach Norvell and uh, Alex Atkins were, were down there in the lobby as well. And you see it up that close. It's like, wow, are we really going to pull in, uh, you know, this five-star huge offensive lineman? Uh, as Florida State people, we know how crucial the offensive line can be, especially when they're not playing at an incredibly high level. Uh, if you're Florida State, you have no choice but to see yourself as a program that can go after players like that, even if the results haven't really you know shown that out you know the, the last few seasons but you gotta you gotta try for him Alex Atkins when he was with FSU previously the offensive line coach now the offensive coordinator he was involved in in Mims recruitment out of high school so Florida State was involved in that process so I think when Mims put his name in the transfer portal as a program you had no choice but to go after him he canceled his his visit to Miami that was supposed to be after uh, his visit to Florida State last week so uh it was getting close. I know there was a, a publication that has been talked a lot about that actually called, you know, Mims to Florida State, and that ended up uh, f- falling through. He was a guy that was in the portal because he, you know, playing time issues, but ultimately he ended up returning to a team that won the national championship last year. So, yeah, I think as we all know, a five star with talent like that, even if you only play one or two years, the kind of tape you're going to be putting out there. This is probably best for his pro career, ultimately, but it would have been nice to have him in Tallahassee. There's no question about that. He is certainly a first-rounder in the future, so it's it's a lot of talent that just ended up leaving Tallahassee in, in a very impromptu way because he was supposed to you know, finish his recruitment process on Friday, and he just straight-up left without saying anything. So, Well, you can't really say uh, left Tallahassee if, if he was never really a lock here in the first place. I just so. mean, like, physically. I, I know, but... Um, <laughs> Ultimately, this is a guy who uh, canceled it, who came here and then immediately canceled his trip to Miami. Um, now we can t- take this and and um, make it so that it's a Miami L instead of a Florida State L. But ultimately, he picked the national championship winning team instead of a work in progress. There's no like love lost there, I guess. Um, I, I, people overreacting to this is just that, people overreacting. 
Uh, the program is not not in shambles. Believe me, I have seen what a program looks like when a program is in shambles with with my own eyes. Just now, just earlier today, I was looking through an old V89 scrapbook and seeing uh, the relief that washed over everybody's face when uh, Florida State edged um, University of Louisiana Monroe uh, because of a missed University of Louisiana Monroe kick in overtime. That is what um, you know a program in shambles looks like. Uh, this is fine. Uh, you, we got one guy from Georgia last year. We missed on this guy this year. It's fine. Um, it will be back to business as usual sooner than we think. Yeah, I mean, you made the point. We FSU got a guy from Georgia last year, and, and he did great. Mm-hmm. He he not only did great, but he actually maybe even helped himself in the draft. So that's my whole argument with this is that he could have come to a program that desperately needed help and would have probably helped FSU grow. And of course, going back to the national champions, Georgia Bulldogs, not a bad, not a bad option at all. But as an FSU alum, you know, it's 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 hard to see this in the news. Uh, it might have been blown out of proportion with how close he was to signing, perhaps yes. But at the same time, the thought that you know he's making FSU his main priority when it comes to looking at other schools and and, and you know the relationship like William was saying with with the coaches here, it seems like there was something here that could have happened. Maybe it was just smoke, but where there's smoke, there's fire. And it's not like the cupboard is completely barren with this offensive line. They added two transfers of their own, Caden Lyles from Wisconsin, and you got Bless Harris from Lamar, but who, who was highly regarded um, over the past couple of years, and you've got you know, plenty of guys returning. So I think the offensive line will be better than it has been in years past, but certainly with Mims, you know, a guy that maybe takes you to the next level. I wonder, Kirby Smart was kind of trying to recruit him back to Georgia while he was in the transfer portal. I wonder if the style of play that they play over there in Athens, SEC grinded out, run the ball football was more alluring to him and maybe the tape that he wants to put out compared to kind of that um, kind of run and shoot offense that Norvell ran in Memphis that I, I think he's hoping to, to really start bringing back in Tallahassee this year. Well, we do have some positive news after all. Today, just recently, there's been a transfer when it comes to FSU men's basketball, which is, you know, surprising but at the same time this is a program that's done really well in the last couple of years so it is still one of the premier ACC schools in, 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 the, in the in the on the court and uh, I believe Nahim Aline is one of the upcoming targets as well um, William what's going on with there yeah so Dennis Green Jr. he just tweeted it out a couple hours ago that he is officially committed to Florida State. He led uh, the UCF Golden Knights in scoring last year. He's known as a sharpshooter. Uh, his numbers last year, he averaged about 13 and a half, two and a half rebounds a game. He's a junior, uh, 6'4", six, six, 185 pounds. He's a guy that's uh, got some size as well. And you talk about the sharpshooter and his numbers shooting the basketball. I thought at times that was, that was an issue that this team had. It seemed like even when they had open shots, they had guys constantly passing them up. So if you've got a guy that wants to really come in and shoot the lights out of the building, I think that's a major thing this team was missing last year. Yeah, the three-point shooting is something that this team desperately needs. So it's certainly something that I think most FSU fans will be welcoming. Ian, is this a transfer that you, you think will get FSU back to its winning ways, or, or are we still, or FSU is still a little bit ways away from, from getting back to, to where they were about a year ago or so? Uh, not all by himself. I mean, he's, you know, playing, he was playing for UCF, you know, I mean, the, the AAC is not exactly the most premier basketball conference in the nation, but um, uh, his reputation as a sharpshooter will definitely help FSU, because like, like William said, that was definitely a problem for the Seminoles this last year. There were a couple games where we would just chuck up threes, at, like, 
a clip of 20 a game or something and make like three of them. So uh, for a team that seemed to want to pin a lot of its offensive identity on being able to shoot from the three-point line and not being able to follow through on that, this is a big improvement. Yeah, this is certainly something to keep your eye on, how he fits into the new Blood Knowles. You know, without Coach C.Y., this is you know a statement for, for some uh, arguing that, hey, FSU basketball is still a place where a lot of people want to play with, play at. But uh, baseball, baseball, FSU baseball is still going at it. They're about, you know, the middle of the season, would you say now, William? They're getting close towards the end, for sure. Yeah. We're getting there. But, yeah, there's there's a lot when it comes to FSU baseball, and William's going to help us break it down. Yeah, so I, I feel a little bit like a fool almost. I sat here a <laughs> week ago, and I said it almost feels like the sky's falling. I To, to give myself a little bit of credit, I mean, would it be such a huge thing to ask for a little more consistency out of this team? It seems like from one one week to the next, you know, they're getting swept and they fall out of the rankings and, and what's going on. And then the next week, uh, they have a really exhilarating uh, Wednesday win over UF, you know, a hated rival. And then you have Louisville coming to town during the weekend, a game that or a team that uh, leads the nation in scoring offense. They're, they average 10 runs a game and you come in and you shut them down in the first two games. You end up sweeping the series. You sweep the week of 4-0. And so now this is the team more so that you wanted to see Parker Messick uh, kind of back on the right side of things after he uh, had a loss to Georgia Tech his last time out. But this time, you know, on six and two-thirds, had the, the 14 strikeouts and all that, uh, is the ACC Pitcher of the Week once again. Um, the, the next game you had Bryce Hubbard go five and two-thirds, and, and I was covering that game. And Mike Martin Jr., the head coach, talking after the game, uh, a guy like him that even when he doesn't have his best stuff, even when he's not on all the way, can still gut through and get five or six innings and look pretty darn good doing it. And then on Saturday, typically a game that would have been played on Sunday, if not for kind of the Easter schedule, Ross Dunn only gets one out. And as you're, as the Sunday starter this year, it's not really uh, giving the Knowles what they want. Uh, Sebastian was covering that game, and, and he learned that they're going to kind of make a change. He had Carson Montgomery close that game out. He's been the Tuesday starter this week. So He's rock solid in that closeout game too, just exactly what you asked for. Um, put him in a high stakes situation, and he and he held his own. And we were we we've been talking about this for a little while that Jonas Scalero, the closer, uh, he was the the highest used reliever by far. It seemed like every big spot he would come in, and, and he you know either give up the lead and a tie, or he'd end up getting the loss. So it seems like they're going to shake some things up, and maybe that was the key. We were calling for it. We need different pitchers in different spots, and you, you combine that with the offense heating up as well. You had in all three games basically a guy one hit shy of the cycle. And this is exactly the team that you want to see at the right time, potentially, as well. Yeah, and using uh, multiple pitchers and switching things up is exactly what they did on Saturday. I mean, they burned through, what, six, seven bullpen arms? Um, I lost count, honestly, after... Uh, yeah, seven pitchers total, including yeah. Ross Dunn. So they just were, were like, you know what, it's the end of a weekend series, let's pull out all the stops, ACC games, what matters, we'll figure it out come, Mon or come Wednesday. Um, slight scheduling change, obviously, because of Easter. Uh, you know, they end on Saturday and start on Wednesday instead of ending on Sunday and starting on Tuesday. Um, so I, I, they clearly factored that into the, the rest of the time for everybody, which is good to see. Um, I, we, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the pitching here, but I honestly want to touch real quick on the offense in that game um, on Sunday because it was, it was I was starting to see them kind of roll over. I had them rolling over basically after that really rocky uh first top of the first but no they came they came right back and, and played the best offensive team in the country real damn close uh, 
held their own, uh, got ahead, got hits where it mattered, put uh, put the ball exactly where it needed to be on uh, both sides of the field, um, and hit hard when it mattered. Um, it was a it was a dicey, even though uh, the pitching was really struggling again against that um, supercharged uh, Louisville defense or offense. Um, they still they still held their own, and that's something that has to be commended. I mean, uh, carry on going four for four um, on the day. He um, in his post game interview was was really happy, all smiles, all smiles that day. Felt like he was uh, he was really stepping up and contributing. Um, let let Louisville know that he was here. I mean, um, on his uh, way around the base path uh, when he hit that three run homer to take the lead and the game, he blew a little kiss to that second baseman. Uh, you know, let him know what's up, and uh, yeah, Louisville saw him. That's for that's for sure. Yeah, Jordan Carey on the transfer from UF. I, he had a, a well-regarded bat. We hadn't seen him much in Tallahassee this year. More of a kind of an athletic defensive shortstop type. But he had a four-hit game. His first home run of the season as a Seminole. I mean, Alex Terrell, I think, hit two or three home runs over the course of the week as well. So that's starting to come into the fold. I mentioned that potent Louisville offense. They only scored one run in game one and two runs in game two. So you didn't really need... Uh, that offense to come through, Sebastian, until, as you said, on Saturday, and they really did in big fashion. Tyler Martin had his first three-hit game of the season as well. I think everyone is optimistic about him showing more of the player he was a season ago as he's coming back from that injury. Um, So that's something to keep an eye on as well. So if we can get that consistency, because that's the next step. We've seen weeks like this where they go 4-0 and, you know, maybe they're, they start climbing back up the rankings. But how do you respond? How do you bounce back? They've got Georgia Southern and Clemson this week. So that, that's not an incredibly difficult week. They just need to keep that consistency. And uh, just to kind of finish up the housekeeping, we were talking about this before the show, Sebastian. So Carson Montgomery, who's previ- or previously been the weekday starter, he closed on Saturday. He's going to be the new Sunday starter. Yes, that was confirmed by uh, Meet himself, my partner, Junior. He was like, we're, we're, he's, he's our Sunday guy from here on out. Um, meanwhile, Ross Dunn, you know, struggling a lot. They don't really know where to put him. So what they're going to do is they're going to uh, take him to the pen, let him uh, kind of break everything, break his game down uh, to the base and then build it back up because uh, Martin did Martin Jr. did say that he um, that he had regressed and that they, they needed to reevaluate some things with him, uh, see where we can uh, kind of uh, – put him back into the position that he needs to be in so that this team can make a run at Omaha or at least the the Super Regionals, right? Yeah, and, and I commend them for making that decision. Dunn only got one out on Saturday, so it's not – I don't even think you could move him into the, the weekday, you know, starting spot. I think, he, as, as you said, you move him into the bullpen. Yeah. I'm excited to see about Carson Montgomery. He was the Sunday starter last year, a really highly tatted guy. He's got the numbers. He really pops off the page, you know, if you're a scout, whatever, he's got the talent. So if he can now put it together, maybe that's that final missing piece because the Knowles have been one of the worst teams in the country on Sunday this season. And even the players will joke about it on occasion. So if you get a, a starter on Sunday that can really pitch, maybe that's that that final missing link that, that this team has been looking for. Did you all talk about Parker Messing winning ACC Pitcher of the Week? We did, and, and he's stellar. As we see, he bounced back <laughs> Man, from that, that Georgia Tech loss. But he, when he's on, he's unhittable. That Thursday game uh, that you and I both attended, uh, William, was just one of the best performances I've ever seen. Uh, from a Florida State pitcher on the mound at Dick Hauser Stadium. Just absolutely lights out. 14 strikeouts, just uh, through, what, 110 pitches and through something like It was 80, like 123, I believe. Yeah. So that, that's Ma- a workhorse. That's a massive workload. And, um, you know, two-thirds of those pitches being strikes is just ludicrous. He, he, he had himself a time. 
just absolutely fully deserved. Um, that there's a um, for those of you who have never been, uh, there's an entire row just um, behind uh, home plate where um, uh, scouts from all sorts of organizations, be it USA Baseball or um, different uh, uh, pro teams up and down the country, that when he played that entire row was packed out with scouts from all over i saw a chicago cubs uh jacket i saw like i said a usa baseball uh sweater and they all had their raider guns um and they were just there to watch and play and boy did he deliver um i can't understate how impressive he was on thursday i can't wait to see him again on friday this week and he tops out at 92 not I, i've never really seen 92 play up as much as, as his does but i think his ability to pound the strike zone goes a huge part. Uh, Thursday was Messick's third game of the year with at least 10 strikeouts and no walks. His sixth double-digit strikeout game of the year. He's gone basically 22 consecutive innings um, at home without allowing a run. Yeah. So when, when he's on, the, a lineup that averages 10 runs a game couldn't get anything against him. Yeah, and that I'm, just shows how well he's going right now. Absolutely clowned on them. And, the, and these guys aren't slouches up and down the uh, up and down the, the lineup for, for Louisville. I mean, I'm, I'm looking Napsick. Uh, a 3.65 batting average, uh, Beard a 3.61, uh, Metzinger a 3.38. Like these are guys that rake, and he can't, and he just fanned them like it was nothing. So especially when you go into postseason play, an ace like that is going to go Vital. really far for them. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, it's great to see that. You know, there's there's good news coming out of the baseball <laughs> side of things. It's 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 been a would you, would, you, would you call it an up-and-down season, William, or has it been stable? It's, it certainly has been anything but stable, but I, I would take this this side uh, rather than, than the side that we've seen the, the previous couple weeks. Yeah, and you know, speaking of up-and-down, da- up the Premier League, it's always, it's always unstable. It's, it's crazy. Uh, the, the, the top two has been pretty stable for the last couple of years, right, Sebastian? But at the same time, the, the fight for the top four is always something to behold, and right now, the Spurs, they're in fourth place, sitting in there with 57 points and 32 games played. But Arsenal are right there, neck and neck, with 31 games played, one less and three points less. So, I know you're a Barca gonna, guy. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to explain something that you may or may not know about uh, the Prem, specifically when it comes to those, uh, let's say, three or four teams um, below the top three. They are huge fans of this game we like to call uh, Top Four is Lava. Now, the way this game works is that whenever uh, your team has lulled you into a false sense of security, like we <laughs> might actually run away with it and see proper European football, you know, Champions League, mm. at, uh, at um, your home stadium, uh, they will immediately turn around, slap you on the face, say, how could you ever think that, and bomb out against a team like Southampton. Um, or a team like Burnley, or a team like West Ham. Un- unless your team is West Ham, in which case... Um, you are just outside of the hunt right now, um, but it is sheer chaos. It yeah. doesn't matter who you root for. It doesn't matter what form they're in. Something will go wrong. <laughs> um, now you look at the North London clubs, and you have to multiply this chaos factor by about four, um, because as we saw uh, yesterday, or yes, as we saw yesterday morning, or the day before yesterday morning, um, when it came to watching Spurs against. Uh, Brighton Hove and Albion, uh, it was a an absolute mess. You know, you had the, a team that looked absolutely spectacular against um, Aston Villa the week before, just looked lost, completely and totally lost uh, with a lot of uh, Matt Doherty. Um, 
and just not really uh, doing anything, not really knowing where they're going, uh, you know, having moves, but not really, you know, putting them into practice uh, without that. Uh, now we learned vital uh, left winger or right winger. Um, it's, and it's more of the same for Arsenal, where they lost uh, fun key pieces and their um, management style with uh, Areta is much less established in a sense. Um, there's a lot less confidence um, coming from Arsenal fans than, than Spurs fans with Conte. Um, it, it's just a, a matter of waiting and seeing, but it, it is going to be must-watch television because it will be a car crash in slow motion. It certainly will be. And speaking of West Ham, they're, they're in the semifinals for the Europa League, and they were supposed to play Barcelona, but of course, of course, Barcelona disappointed me. As they disappointed me today, they, lo they lost 1-0 to Cadiz. Uh, I th I that think is Cadiz's first win in Camp Nou in history. Yeah, yeah that's, that's where we're at. But it's, it's, it's an upward tra trajectory. It might not be the consistent slope that you'd like it's for it to four be. four straight losses. I don't know what, what upward that is. I mean, you've got Javi, but like... That's the second straight loss. That is the second straight loss. Yeah, it's yeah. just okay. Is that, does that include European play? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they were in a 14-game unbeaten streak before this past Thursday, and then you know everything came crashing down when they lost 3-2. Um, but regardless, Barcelona is not the talking point right now because the Premier League is infinitely more important. Of course, <laughs> everyone seems to believe that these days. But at the same time, Madrid they end up beating Chelsea in the Champions League this past week, proving that hey. Maybe La Liga is not dead. And then VRL, of course, they did the massive upset of the century, perhaps, beating Bayern Munich 2-1 in aggregate. And, I mean, tying Bayern Munich on the road is something that not many people are able to do these days. And, you know, beating them over two legs with the squad that they have, it, I mean, you, Unai Emery, of all the coaches, he outsmarted Julian Nagelsmann, a, a, a young German coach who everyone touted as the next big thing. And, it just speaks to volumes to how incredible the Champions League can be. But, Sebastian, what's been the craziest thing you've seen, uh, wh whether it's the Premier League, the Champions League, wh what's been the craziest thing? Well, personally, I know I'm going to rub another sore spot for you again, but it, for <laughs> me it actually was Frankfurt um, beating um, Barcelona at in Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and it, I, the reason why we make a big deal of, of teams going in and beating um, Barcelona on their own pitch is because it just never happens, or it never happened. Um, Did you see for, how many German fans decades. were there? Yeah, and that was another thing I was going to talk about. Um, it, it genuinely was another home game for Frankfurt, which is re it's and Camp Nou is um, was used to be known for its atmosphere. It suffered immensely as the tr as the club has undergone brutal financial troubles. Um, but it, the the way that a team like that came out in force. Um, is something truly special to behold. Um, teams like Frankfurt don't get to play teams like Barcelona too, um, often. too often. It doesn't matter if it's Europa League. If you, uh, if your team is uh, drafted to to play in a group with a team like Barcelona or Madrid, uh, fans understand that that is a once in a lifetime opportunity many many times. So they will do whatever it takes to make that trip. And as we've shown, um, there was definitely. Um, more than just one fan that found a way to to wrangle a ticket away from a Barcelona uh, fan who was thoroughly uninterested in watching a game like this. Um, those dynamics are are unique to European football, and it's a tr it was a really really special night to see that type of thrashing at at, at your doorstep. And, and I un that, it's harsh, but it is true. 
it's something it was amazing to see i, I was watching it in a uh in the colombian restaurant here in tallahassee it was, it was awesome the one in tennessee yes oh uh, that's a good one but uh yeah, uh, it's it's harsh, but it's true. I mean, you, you don't see Barcelona losing like that often. It ended up being three two in, in the end, but uh, for a minute it was three nil, and that's that's outrageous. Uh, obviously, having a penalty in the first couple of minutes that that throws the game off balance. But at the same time, you expect more from Barcelona, no matter who's on the field, no matter who's on the sidelines coaching them. And wrapping up soccer, I mean, Liverpool beat Manchester City three two in the FA Cup semifinal, and they will be facing Chelsea in the final. Which you know begs the question: How are they going to be able to overcome having to play in both the Champions League, the FA Cup final, and the rest of the Premier League while Manchester City is no longer playing the FA Cup? Now Manchester City does play in Real Madrid in the semifinals in next week, so it's going to be interesting to see how these two teams end up, you know, overcoming their squad injuries and and, and their their fatigue and whatnot. But that's going to wrap it for this half of the sh- of the show. You've been listening to WFS Tallahassee. Next up is Seminole Segment with Jackson Bakich. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jackson Bakich with VD9 Sports. Here is your Seminole Segment. <clears throat> Florida State softball starts the week against Stetson tomorrow at home at 5 p.m. The Knolls are 39-5, and looking for the victory to set them up for their three-game series at home versus Clemson, which starts on Thursday at 8 p.m. The last time the softball team was this good through 44 games was, take a guess, 1992, they were 42-2. Knowles Golf is gearing up, but also winding down from ACC tournament play. The men are preparing for the big dance with the ACC tournament on the horizon. Excuse me, with the NCAA tournament on the horizon. The tournament will be played from Friday, April 22nd, through Monday, April 25th at Shark's Tooth Golf Club. So good luck to the guys. The women's golf team fought hard all the way up to the final round of the ACC tournament against Wake Forest, but ended up losing... 3-1-1. However, the NCAA championship is coming to Tallahassee on May 9th when the Lady Seminoles host a regional at Seminole Legacy Golf Club. So once again, good luck, girls. And for the most important part of this Seminole segment, VD9 wants to wish their congratulations and appreciation for our seniors leaving. We have Gabe Tisnes, Sebastian Angel Riano, Scott Clemens, and Gabriella Townsend, you guys have put your heart and soul into this radio station, into this department, and we will forever be indebted to you. So enjoy retirement, you old heads. <laughs> and that is all for Seminal Segment. I'm Jackson Bagich, and if you want better sports coverage, make sure you listen to the better sports analysts here at V89 Sports. Back to you in the studio. This man is an absolute menace. <laughs> he calls old. I mean, you're not wrong, but... He called us old. He also failed to specify which one of us is the good sports analyst. Oh, it's me. It's obviously, <laughs> it's obviously me. you. That's why you, yeah. you have me week in and week out, right? It's none of us. But we do appreciate Jackson for that shout-out for, for your sports coverage. And, uh, yeah, I guess we can just shout him out as well because he'll be moving up the ranks as co-host with William Haynes. We'll get into that in the last little bit of the show as well. Yeah, shout-out my man. Some exciting news for sure with what's going on in the, in the radio station, the, the future of it. Uh, after all, because it doesn't stop with any of us. I gotta say, I love how much fun our guys are having on Seminal Segment. It, it's usually more of a button-up type thing, but they've <laughs> kind of cut loose and and they're making it their own. And I really appreciate how how good of a job they've done over this past semester with it. Yeah, it's it's great to to see the the innovation that these these younger guys get to bring yeah. these days. But young bloods. The <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get into sports now because we do have to talk about the NBA. The NBA playoffs 
are officially underway. They are in full force with the first round, of course, not the not the premier, most epic part of the, the playoffs, but it has certainly been entertaining to watch so far. And before we get into that, we actually have to you know talk about the, the award finalists because as of just a couple of minutes, the Defensive Player of the Year was officially announced. Marcus Smart becomes the first guard since Gary the Glove Payton to win it. And he, of course, beats out Michael Bridges and Rudy Gobert, who's, of course, been notorious for winning the NBA Defensive Player of the Year award. So it, we'll start there with, with, you know, Marcus Smart. He's, you know, always been a stingy player, always been someone who <laughs> will do anything for the Celtics. But um, I think this is probably the, the highlight of his career for, for now. I mean, unless the Celtics were to win it all this year, I don't really see him, you know, doing anything else to, to make himself you know, be more newsworthy than he is right now. He's he's certainly uh, an asset for the Celtics. They've been playing incredible defense, and we'll talk more about that. But we also have the MVP race officially solidified with the Giannis, with the Embiid, and the Jokic as the three finalists. And then we have Rookie of the Year with Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Scotty Barnes, of course. Shout out to the FSU alum. And for sixth, then we have Kevin Love, Cam Johnson, and Tyler Hero. I know there's a lot of Miami fans that are going to be <laughs> <laughs> tuning in to see if his their, their boy Tyler makes it out of that. But with Coach of the Year wrapping it up, Monty Williams for the Suns. I think he is certainly one who will be up there, probably with Eric Spolster from the Heat. They're both the number one seats for the NBA. But Taylor Jenkins with the Grizzlies is also quite the candidate. Um, but what do you guys think about you know all those awards? Is, is there one that you're going to be paying most attention to or you're just going to be watching in general? Well, I mean, the MVP discussion is hotly contested every year, but this one has been as well. I think if you look purely at stats, it's it's got to be Jokic. Um, and per- perhaps the value to his team as well, because sometimes people forget it's not necessarily the best player, but who contributes the most. I know Embiid maybe gets the most press. Um, and then you've got Giannis, who's you know the defending champ- champion. Uh, and he's been expanding his game more and more as time has gone on. So that, that to me, obviously, stands out the most. Yeah, the MVP is certainly something to watch out for and i mean we have to talk about it of course the guard just won defensive player of the year but you have three big men you know in the mvp this this doesn't happen very often these days uh with how the nba is played right now but i mean i think all of them are are, are worthy of it to, to an extent i think Embiid is probably in third right now um but at the same time he he's just, he's gonna be a menace in the playoffs we'll talk about that as well but uh, you guys think Scotty Barnes is a lock for Rookie of the Year? Or? I think so. So it, it's not really fair to bring up the fact that one of those guys is still in the playoffs and the other two aren't. Um, because if we fall into that trap, well, it's the same trap that we see every year with the MVP contest. It's not uh, who's the truly the most valuable player, but rather the who's the best player on the best team. Um, with that in mind, though, I think Scotty has gone out of his way and earned it um, because without Scotty Barnes. I thoroughly believe that uh, Toronto has absolutely no chance of actually sniffing the playoffs this year and is in another year of rebuild if it weren't for landing Scotty Barnes and seeing how he developed past um, what his shortcomings were here at Florida State. Um, we we want to take credit for, for Scotty, but I, I honestly think that he grew a lot in this past year. And uh, making the playoffs, uh, even though he's going to be out tonight with an ankle injury, and I honestly think they might shut him down for the rest of the rest of the series, unfortunately, because an ankle sprain is nothing to be taken lightly. Um, that is a pain in the butt, and if it's mishandled, uh, it can affect your game for years to come. Um, I mean, uh, it's said that nobody escapes a high ankle sprain. You deal with that pain for the rest of your career. Uh, with that in mind, um, and for me, Scotty is definitely a lock. 
Um, as much as I want to say Scotty's going to win it, uh, uh, all the stuff that I've heard out of, you know, you know, the internet and stuff, it seems like Evan Mobley is going to be the, the lock. He's been the most consistent player throughout the year, probably. I don't, you know, obviously the Cavaliers missed out on the playoffs in the uh, play-in game. Um, but we can't hold that against him because, you know, it's a regular season award, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that Evan Mobley's going to win. And, I mean, on the offensive and defensive end, he's just been, like, incredibly consistent and in a, a, a team that wasn't really expected to make much of an impact at all this year. You know, the Cavaliers really were pretty darn good. So, uh, you know, I think that he's going to get a lot of credit for that, for kind of vaulting the, ca- the Cavaliers back into the national spotlight, even though they didn't make the playoffs. Ian, you're from Miami, right? I am. Yeah. So, Well, uh, the area. I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm one of those, I'm not going to say I'm from Miami because then everybody's going to be like, why are you putting Fort Lauderdale on your geotag? Yeah. <laughs> South Florida. South yeah, Florida. South Florida. 305 yeah. till I die. Right. Well, 954, but. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, what would you be more happy about, Tyler Hero winning it or, or Eric? Um, I would honestly be more happy with Eric Spolstra winning it just to get the kind of recognition that I think that. You know, he's never won it, right? I don't. I don't think so. Everybody didn't, knows. Didn't uh, Monty Williams already win? Yeah, Monty Williams won last year. I don't think he's going to repeat. Um, I would love for Eric Spolster to win, just so that he can finally get you know something shiny to put on his mantelpiece outside of those NBA championships that people say were more the big three than you know any of his coaching prowess in NBA circles. Everybody knows that he's one of the best coaches in the league, and he's finally getting that kind of recognition in terms of awards um, nomination, but. I think that Taylor Jenkins is going to win just because the Grizzlies kind of came out of nowhere this year. Uh, I mean, they're number two in the West. The West is notoriously the more difficult conference historically to compete in. I mean, this year the East is a little more congested. But, um, you know, they went, what, 20-5 and five without John Morant? I mean, that's got to be a testament to... Yeah, it's got to be a testament to Jenkins' coaching ability to coach, you know, all these... And it's the youngest team in the league. So to get all these young guys to play off level this early in their careers is a testament to his ability. So as much as I'd love for Spolster to win, I don't think he's going to. Yeah, no, those numbers speak for themselves, and, and you, you, know, you put it pretty pretty well. So let's get into the playoffs, shall we? <laughs> we do have to talk about, you know, the Raptors. They're, you know, already losing Scotty Barnes for Game 2 and potentially the rest of the series. It's not looking very good. Do you guys think this is going to go 5 or...? The, the Scotty Barnes injury, we talk about, you know, rookie of the year and the value that a guy has to his team. I think, especially if they shut him down, I, that that kills any chance that the Raptors have. I know the the, the big discussion that we had last week was, well, who's going to guard Embiid? They have Siakam. He, I don't think he was on a much. He had a, a minus 19, plus minus. They ended up having a Precious Achiwa on him most of the game, you know, to make success. So, you know, if you don't have Scotty and, and you can't defend Embiid, I don't see what chance you have in a series like this. Yeah, it's it's a tall task for sure. And, you know, Scotty, he's he's such a weapon on the defensive side of things. So losing him, it's certainly they, – they already put up 131 points in the first game. <laughs> I don't I don't see them, you know, finding some, some magic formula in the next game or two. But speaking of defense, the Boston Celtics, they're, you know, one of the better defensive teams in the league. And with Marcus Smart winning Defensive Player of the Year, you know – you would think that Kyrie wouldn't drop 40 on them. After after all, he's he's fasting for Ramadan, and you know he's now flipping off former fans in, in the stands. <laughs> it was certainly a crazy game, but you know the Nets end up falling short by just one point in Boston in Game One. Did you guys uh, think that you know KD was going to come through at the end, or? 
No. That that last possession. Do you want to go? No, 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 you go ahead. Okay. That last possession was genuine defensive magic. I've I've it was so satisfying to watch. It's very difficult to not get called for playing good defense in, in the NBA. It, it's it's a it's a rare art form. And seeing that the way that team as a unit covered uh, double did double coverage on whoever had the ball in this case Kyrie Irving completely just suffocated him to the point where he struggled to find Kevin Durant and Kevin only had about two seconds to get a shot off um, with a with someone right here basically uh, you know full hand and face type thing uh, just an absolutely fantastic defensive possession um, and then the the ensuing offensive possession you know struggling to get back up the court and then Jason Tatum with a with a a roll to to win the game with a tenth of a second to go on the clock. It's just fantastic. It was such a good game, insanely back and forth. Uh, I can't stand Kyrie Irving. I think he's annoying. I think he's full of himself. I think uh, he is one of those people that thinks that he's the only person in the room with a brain, even though um, he very clearly isn't. Uh, he like I, I got to defend him on that. He is just doing the same thing that Trey Young does. He feeds off the crowd. It, it, it's one of those points where it's like I am better than all of these people, and and he can use that as as a weapon. And he was untouchable from beyond the arc. There were entire um, you know rows on the uh, the scoring recap where it was uh, Irving three pointer, Irving three pointer, Irving three pointer. He's in lights out uh, the entire game. Great to watch. Um, it reminds you that he's still one of the best um, at distributing that ball and, um, you know, racking up points for his team. But he's just, does it have to be that guy? I love KD. I love KD. Can't stand Kyrie. It's my, it's like I'm in a perpetual catch-22 when it comes to the Nets. I want to see them win for KD, but I could not stand Kyrie winning another trophy. Could not stand it. That makes two of us. <laughs> We yeah. just talked about Marcus Smart and how he won Defensive Player of the Year. This Celtics defense, I mean, for a long time has been of great acclaim. I think it was kind of the talk of the town in the first weekend of the NBA playoffs of how Ke Kevin Durant was shut down. I mean, they double him, they do all these things, press man covers the whole time just trying to get under his skin, and he didn't play very well. I mean, give Kyrie credit, his ability to take over a game is up there with, with the best of them, but if, if that's the kind of KD that we're going to be seeing in this series, that's tough for Brooklyn. I mean, without Kevin Durant putting up 30, this team has no shot, in my opinion. He has to put up 30 at least every single game, and then Kyrie has to do similar things to what he just did. Uh, I mean, and then Seth Curry, I, I think he's also a pivotal point for this team, his, his shooting, but also his distributing. He had, I believe, six assists last game, and, you know, it was a, a pretty good effort for the Nets, but even then, it's going to be tough for them to pull it out against the Celtics. They seem to be a team that's kind of built to, to beat the, the Nets, but we'll, we'll see. But Another superstar that is back is Steph Curry. He he came back from his ankle injury, and he came off the bench, uh, but he, he played a huge role in the Warriors winning 123-107 against the Nuggets. And this is another series. Now this is on the West, of course. But this is another series that, you know, it's a treat to have in the first round of the playoffs. The Warriors, they're, you know, inching every step forward towards getting back to the finals. But at the same time, you know, they're still not there yet and with Steph you know coming back for that ankle injury it's gonna be tough to see them getting all the way there this year but it's it's still possible how do you guys feel about the Warriors is this gonna be you know, is this series gonna go six 
I don't know. I, I thought Denver would have a little bit better showing in game one. I really expected it to be a tough series. Now, granted, we didn't know if, if Steph was going to play or not, and he comes back in the lineup, and I think ultimately what we learn is he doesn't necessarily have to be at his best. He doesn't have to run around and, and run circles around defenders. If he can do his catch-and-shoot stuff at an effective level, forget about it. And even just having his presence on the floor, maybe it opens up uh, a, a little bit extra space for Clay Thompson, who <laughs> went 7 for 15 from the field. Um, and, and maybe now this is where he heats up. So I, it's not just about Steph, but what he opens up for other guys. I mean, are they going to let Draymond get hot from three? I mean, this is the Golden State team of, of years past that we were used to seeing. Certainly. I mean, Draymond had some injuries throughout the year. Clay, throughout the whole season, he was inching his way to getting back. And, you know, Steph, he's had ankle injuries and whatnot. But when they're all on the court, this is one of those teams that you have to watch out for. And they also have a couple other pieces. They still have Andre Iguodala, who, although he didn't play or he didn't score any points, he's still someone you can count on in the biggest moments. I think. Do you guys think the Warriors and the Suns are are locked for the Western Conference Finals? I don't know, man. Those wolves look spooky. <laughs> we have entered like actually unironically spooky wolves territory, which is which is very scary to see. A Rod comes in, he changes yeah. the culture, man. That's what he does. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> completely forgot about that. Um, but who knows? I mean, the, the Suns are the only lock for me. Um, the West has been chaotic, to say the least, and inconsistent, to say the most. Uh, where, I mean, Curry had that drought um, that took up the middle third of the season. You know, he was white hot right up until he reached um, the, the threes record, and then he, uh, you know, fizzled and went, went ice cold for a while um, with, a, with a drought that kind of persisted through the... Uh, the all-star break and everything and he's now just picking up the pieces um in time for the playoffs whereas the the wolves look really hungry the wolves look look like sure you can you can clown on them for for finally you know surpassing expectations you can say the bar was in hell but this is a team that really really cares and is not like hungry they're feral they want something really really bad um, and they, they they're still hungry, and you gotta you gotta give it to them. Yeah, and they're a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Anthony Edwards is. Yeah. I think he should have won Rookie of the Year last year. Honestly, a little salty Pat, about that. Pat Bev has has put. <laughs> I'm gonna sound so corny when I say that, say this, but Pat Bev has has put that dog in that team, where it's like <laughs> they are they 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 play obnoxious, they play mean, they play they play hungry. It's exciting to watch. Sure, it, like the the villain is fun to root for. It's why we root for guys like Trey Young when he um, unleashes a reign of terror on a team like the Knicks, who hadn't seen success in ages, and just completely ruins any sort of playoff fantasy for them. He brought vengeance to Gotham Square yeah. Garden. Oh in that my series. god, it was so good. It was. It last year it was great. Um, he's he's back on his thing uh, against Miami. Um, oh yeah, that to is to the tune of eight points. To the tune of eight, woke up feeling dangerous that night. But that just goes to show how strong that Miami defense is. Um, sure, they're not um, elegant um, when it comes to scoring, but that defense is all but suffocating. Maybe too aggressive for my tastes. I saw way too many elbows that weren't called mm -hmm. um, last night against uh, Atlanta. But um, we'll we'll see how that series plays out. Sebastian using possibly every single oh yeah Timberwolves imagery yeah. But regardless, they are winning one 0 against the Grizzlies. One 0 This is not soccer. They're 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 beating. They have a, a game at hand against the Grizzlies. Oh god! And uh, <laughs> took home court advantage as well. Yeah. That's nothing to exactly. To this is not the same Timberwolves team that Jimmy Butler clowned on with the practice squad. <laughs> they they have transformed. They have certainly evolved. Uh, but the Jazz they also beat the Mavs. They're they're you know 
facing a, a Mavs team that doesn't seem to have Luke at 100%. So that's another matchup to, to keep your eye on. But is there any series you guys think that will be an upset when all is said and done? We've already talked a lot about the Timberwolves, but that's uh, that seems like the most uh, most likely most likely choice for an upset uh, in the Eastern Conference. Maybe the Nets obviously could beat the Celtics, but I don't see that happening. It's ex- <laughs> it's extremely unlikely. I'll say that probably the least likely upset. But I am interested to see what the Pelicans are going to do. The kind of fight that they showed last yeah. night. They were down like twenty five, and they they came. I think they were within eight at one point. Larry Nance throwing it down. I mean, granted. Chris Paul absolutely took over that game. He's almost 37, so maybe it, it's too little too late, but to see a team, you know, 10 games under 500 in the regular season and, and get into a dogfight with the one seed in the West, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that that series is is a, is a walk, is, you know, cakewalk. I think the the Pelicans have kind of all taken on uh, the Jose Alvarado energy of just... <laughs> Florida State fans know the well oh, what yeah. that looks like. The bane yeah. of our existence in the ACC championship. Yeah, the Pelicans are a lot of fun, um, but you know they're not they're not going to win. But they they have showed a lot of fight, and they're a lot of fun to watch. The uh, the Bulls for me are uh, on on upset watch. Really? I mean, they they fought really hard. I mean, there was there was a lot of fight in them against the Bucks. I uh, I don't know if you can stretch that over over six games because uh, it, it for me it would be bucks and six I think mm-hmm. um, just because of some you know late game heroics that's the only way I can see them pushing this past five um, I don't like okay do you, I want to decide he, right here right now are, are is Brooklyn really like a true underdog because they're the they're, for me they're like a false seven and it, like what we're seeing right now is like a two seed play like a, a five seed really yeah I agree um, where it's like Kyrie Irving, one of the reasons I don't like Kyrie Irving is that he's, he's not a team player. Basketball is the most team-intensive sport in the um, out of the major four, where it's like you are extremely important as an individual, but you must contribute to ultimately a team. And Kyrie is not a team player. He takes off days in the middle of the season for no reason. He refuses to get vaccinated, uh, even though he it's for the benefit of his team, not just himself and the people around him, mm-hmm. um, for no reason. Um, he is very full of himself and to a point where it is destructive to his team. Um, there is such a thing as whims of public placement in basketball, and Kyrie is not delivering on them. Right, and we will not touch on Kyrie anymore. <laughs> I think, I think we, yeah. we've, we've... Maybe yeah. a sore spot you, for special. You allowed me a platform to spread Kyrie hate. I don't know what you expected. We, we will not spread any more Kyrie propaganda. Instead, we will talk about other little side stories. You know, it, there's... It might not be, you know, the, the most exciting sports or stories in the world right now, but it is important to cover other sports such as MLB, right, William? Yeah, that, that, that's right. There's a, a few interesting stories. We're only a week in, about a week and a half. There's 10 games, and a lot of teams are kind of hovering right at about 500, and everyone says, oh, wait for, you know, Memorial Day uh, until May or June, and then we'll, we'll start uh, judging teams. But one thing that, that really stood out to me, and, and race fans will we'll get a look at him over the next three nights, but Seiya Suzuki of the Chicago Cubs. He's 27 years old. He was playing in, in the NPB in Japan, and then he finally got posted by his team in uh, Hiroshima. And he, the Cubs, you know, he's never played a game in the major leagues, and the Cubs signed him for five years in $85 million. And that's that's a large price to pay for someone, like I said, that's never seen big league baseball. But in his basically his first week, he was National League Player of the Year. Three home runs, five RBIs. He has 1,600 OPS. 
So that that was a bet that the Cubs made. I think they're still kind of in a rebuilding uh, mode, but it's a National League Central that looks weak right now with with the Milwaukee Brewers off to a bit of a slow start. So uh, say Suzuki for me, he really stood out. Jose Ramirez won it in the American League, and and now that the Cleveland Guardians are are showing some fight at their game. Uh, under 500. A, a big story nationally, the Yankees, they lost a series in Baltimore against probably the worst team in the majors and uh, the Baltimore Orioles. They, the Yankees got shut out for the first time since 2016. So their, mar- their manager and Aaron Boone, a lot of people were calling for for him to be fired after they lost in the wildcard game a season ago. And uh, the, the hot seat is not getting turned down one bit. The Yankees team, they, they have expectations going into every year. Um, but it's there's some trouble in the Bronx right now. <laughs> yes, there is. And we'll kick it off to Ian, who's got some hockey coverage for us. <laughs> the first time, I believe, this whole semester that we were talking about hockey. Yeah, we are so close to playoff hockey. It's the greatest time of the year. You know? um, best game on earth. It's the best game on earth, yeah. Um, I can use this as a platform to shout out my Florida Panthers, who are... All right, that's enough. For me. We, can, <laughs> we can move on to the to whatever's next. Or maybe the best team. Or no, the, not not maybe. They are the best team in the Eastern to, Conference. I will. Give if you we th- see the Lightning in the playoffs again, we will. It will go to seven. It, it, it will. It will. It will be a another war. It will be a dogfight um, on the Tamiami Trail. Uh, that being said, I do want to warn you. You do not want a president want the president's trophy. You don't want it. It's uh, a curse. Well, we're not going to get it because the Avalanche are two points ahead, and I think they're going to stay that way. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, a couple of teams locked up playoff spots this week, and the Minnesota Wild are looking like a pretty good team to uh, pick. You know, it's like a dark horse. They are an excellent sleeper. Western Conference yeah. Finals team. Yeah. Mark Andre Fleury has been pretty good since his trade. He's a six and a one, a point nine two one save percentage. I mean, it's a small sample size, but you know, I think he kind of got blacklisted by the Golden Knights last year. He yeah. served as the fall guy, so I really hope that he does well there. That moved that move made zero sense, but yeah. Laner has not proven to be the uh make it back in spades. Okay. Um last thing of the night. Uh for me will be uh just a brief a Formula One rundown and it is race week once again. We were at Imola in Italy. Um Imola is a tight technical course. Uh lots of corners, not a lot of straights. It's a small track too. Um, this benefits uh, Red Bull the most with their excellent aero package. Hertz Ferrari, not a lot of straights, not a lot of room to work with. That's where they really get the power down. Um, this might actually also benefit McLaren, who I predict will have another strong week, since they uh, will probably not have to worry about uh, heating issues as much on a short track like this. Scott. And we'll have Scott you know, talk about the USFL. Last but not least, you know, you got to... Gotta let Scott have his moment. Oh yeah, for sure. William has this pulled up on his laptop, and I'm already excited. But yeah, uh, for those of you who don't know, the US the USFL has been rebooted, kind of. There's no legal connection between the old league, and there's a lawsuit on the table. But we're not going to talk about that. It so the USFL is kind of back. Uh, it has all eight teams playing at one stadium in Birmingham, Alabama, and it is. To put it best, I think, is an experiment. They're trying out a lot of things. You're seeing the, like, a uh, bunch of technologicals in the game. They ha- Technological innovations in the game, I should say. You have the first first down chains being taken out and gone all technological, which I think is great. You have a drone camera on the kick on all, like, kickoffs and punt returns, which I think is terrible, but... Uh, in terms of action, it is exactly what you think it is. You had Shea Patterson, who's one of the bigger-name qu- quarterbacks in uh, the league, had the equivalent of a butt fumble today where he tripped and got up and then uh, had a like 
sack fumble that got returned all 95 yards for, for a touchdown by former F- FSU football player Reggie Northrup. So shout shout out to him making his impact on on the league. But it is exact. It is an experiment. It is exactly what you thought it would be, and then some. And then the fact that they have it in Birmingham, I just think is absolutely hilarious. So. William, any, anything to bounce off that? Well, one thing I'll say, unlike the other two spring leagues, then the AAF and the XFL, the USFL is open to working with the National Football League, the NFL, as being more of a spring developmental league rather than a direct competitor. So when it comes to finances, staying afloat, not only are they cutting costs with the one stadium, but maybe they could be getting some juice from, from Roger Goodell in the commissioner's office as well. You know, the NFL is... Is, is a pretty big league, and I'm not surprised that they're not getting too close to the to the USFL just yet. But we, we'll see in the future. But as we kind of wrap up the show, this is it. This is <laughs> the last time I'll be in the host chair. Uh, and with that, I got to say, it's been a great time. It's been a great time, not just this semester, but the whole time that I've been here. I've been here since October of my freshman year. And, you know, been, being here through COVID and through so many other interesting times at, at Florida State, it's been really really enjoyable to be at the station there's been so many people i've met that have helped me in in, in my career in my in my path and in life in general it's been great to to be able to make all these relationships a part of my life and i'm so grateful for it i, I can't say it enough i, I recommend the station to anyone who's interested in, in broadcasting and, and production and whatnot um but for the next year i'll be taking more of a focus on the fs view the, the student-run newspaper here at florida state uh it's you know, kind of side by side with the with the department in some ways, but um, I'll, I'll probably pop in here and I, here and there to, to check up on the the people here. Uh, but it is you know a great pleasure to you know welcome in William as as my new or my new the, the station's new host, uh, the new supreme leader of course, and uh, I I couldn't think of anyone more qualified and more more capable of filling in that seat that seat that the role. Um, William, you've been a great co-host. You're a great great person, but. I know that you're going to do great things, and, and I'm really excited to, to tune into the show, to listen to the podcast, um, and you know, for all our seniors here, it's been it's been a great time. I can't stress that enough, and it's going to be sad to, to leave, but at the same time, we know that we're leaving it in great hands. So um, that that'll do it for for the the season of Tomahawk Talk. We'll, we'll call it that. We'll see if if William wants to to hop on the show next week or whatnot. But there'll be some some sports some sports shows during the summer as we usually try to. Um, but William, I'll you know let, let you you know have a little moment as well because you know stepping up here, you get a new co-host and whatnot. You, you get to to do things your way this time. So, what are you most looking forward to, man? Well, I'm, I'm thrilled. First of all, I just I want to congratulate you on your position with the View, and that that's a terrific uh, promotion as, as you're moving up over there. And it's been it's been a great pleasure working with you the past couple semesters and, and having you here as this the past semester as the leader. But I, I'm thrilled. I've I've done a lot of sports broadcasting stuff in the past that, you know, when I was in high school, I did my own, you know, internet talk show. But to to be on here on the radio on 89.7 FM in, in Tallahassee, and of course we have all our podcasts that go out, it, it's a great thrill. And we've got, you know, as far as Division One college sports goes, we've got some of the best teams in the land. And to be able to follow them closely is really excited. And then uh, the, the kind of talent that we have here, the people that, that come in and, and wh- whether whatever sport that they that they like, they come in and they talk about it like you wouldn't believe. And, and it's it, like I said, it's a great thrill to be able to do this each and every week. Yeah, it's it's a it's a privilege, a blessing. All everywhere do you want to throw out there, <laughs> but we do kind of have to wrap up because we've been running a little bit over. Don't tell anyone. But for William, for Ian, for Sebastian, for 
Gabby, who's in the, <laughs> in the station, uh, for Scott, for everyone else in the station, for myself, this has been Tomahawk Talk, and you've been listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.